0: I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is
1: My Big Bag of Onions.
2: The got from Maine to California Broken hearts so they far so long. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dog radio How so many
3: You know, the interesting thing is that if one looks at it in the abstract, many people think there's a huge amount of disagreement. If you actually get people to talk about individual cases, it turns out that there's a great deal more moral agreement than one thinks. Um, I've often experienced in every single conversation where people say, oh, it's all up for grabs and it's you know just a matter of preference. You say, okay, so is it just my preference that I don't believe babies should be burned to the god deity Baal? I mean, sometimes if you'll get the very young, very persistent young man usually, he'll say, well, you know, in those days it was just fine. But as a matter of fact, you can usually lead people through specific examples of moral progress if you just look at not only the last couple of thousand years, but even the past 200 years, where there's a huge amount of agreement. I've been studying a lot about the American Civil War recently and the abolition of slavery. It's not simply the case that the Southerners said, we just simply like owning human beings. There were two opposing sets of moral claims. People may have believed that it was perfectly all right to own human beings, but we don't believe that anymore, and that's one example we can come up with many.
2: Are my castles made of sand Would you hold me in your hand And let me play If I said that I'd been blessed, Loved my pain and lost my head Would you take me in your bed Would you stay Would you wait, wait, wait For a brighter sun to shine my way Would you wait, wait, wait great
4: a 1997 track called Diana by God Street Wine, which was a jam band from New York City that was active from 1988 onwards. The band broke up in 1999, but reformed in 2010. We don't really have a jam band scene in the UK. Jam bands stretch out their songs and no two shows are the same. As a live act, God Street Wine played a big part in developing the jam rock scene of the early 90s, even though they never did enjoy much success in terms of record sales.
3: This is not a very new truth that riches don't buy you happiness. And I'm not talking about constraining. We are surrounded in the world by advertising which suggests that our lives are going to be sexier, brighter, happier if only we buy one more thing. It's very hard to shake that. I'm not arguing for total asceticism. like pretty things as much as the next person. I'm talking about getting a perspective on what makes life worth living. The place to look is the enlightenment and To defend the Enlightenment is simply to defend the modern world with its possibilities for self-criticism and transformation. And I think there are only three alternatives. You can go for pre-modern nostalgia. Things were all better in some golden age before. Well, they weren't better for many people. Or you can go into kind of post-modern cynicism and give up the idea that anything has value at all. Between those, I go for defending modernity, but also saying, well, What's crucial about the Enlightenment is a self-criticism which allows us to go further. Now, standardly, the Enlightenment has been seen as valuing fairness, tolerance. I'm not even sure I like tolerance at all. You tolerate bad smells, you tolerate things that you can't change and have to live with. I think it's much more important to look at robust values of the Enlightenment. I've identified four. The first is the value of happiness.
4: This is Hammond Song by the Rushes, who were three Irish-American sisters known for their unusual and rich harmonies and quirky lyrics. They were active from the mid-70s until 2017. The sinewy guitar you could hear was by Robert Fripp of King Crimson fame, who also produced this, the Rushes' first album, in 1979. One reviewer said the Roche's music was startling, lacerating and amusing. Another said it was a mischievous and highly original folk blend. The busy and sought after Mr. Fripp went from this to recording a solo album and appeared live with Debbie Harry's Blondie, worked with Peter Gabriel and then lent his distinctive scything guitar solos to David Bowie's Scary Monsters.
1: It seems like for the last 10 years, everyone has been talking about the way in which the internet might be changing childhood, changing children's educational prospects, changing the way they relate to each other and possibly bringing all kinds of risks. So it just seemed like a really lively topic that people wanted to understand better.
4: And how did you approach it?
1: One way of coming at this particular topic is to listen to the kinds of popular discourses, the sometimes moral panics, the media headlines, kind of screaming about all the things that might be bad about the internet, and start to ask, well, what would a careful social science analysis show if we were to go and interview children, interview parents?
0: I suppose we should start by saying what counts as a child in this context?
1: That's a really great question. It's not obvious actually what either child or internet means and both we could say are changing. It's important to me to think about the history of childhood and to think about the way in which our conceptions of a child have changed and for many people it means quite a small person under about let's say 10 but from the point of view of many of the policies that are there to both provide for and protect children many would point to the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child as the kind of really key framework, and that defines a child as anyone under 18 recognising that they have different needs and somewhat qualified rights depending on their capacity. So there's always a kind of careful question about age, about context, and about what kinds of needs and abilities they have at different ages.
4: Recurring Dream was a best-of compilation album by rock group Crowded House, released in 1996 and which included most of their singles as well as some new songs. The album's title, Recurring Dream, was named after this song that you're listening to, which, oddly, was not included on the compilation, but was later featured on a rarities collection called Afterglow, released in 1999. Crowded House are often thought of as being an Australian band, but Neil Finn, the band's leader, is in fact from New Zealand.
3: value of the enlightenment or of modernity is the value of reason, which has been absurdly caricatured in just about every Description of the Enlightenment starting with the counter-Enlightenment, you know, in Edmund Burke in uh, the 1790s. It's a very old claim that if the Enlightenment is in favor of reason, it can't deal with emotion. It has to mean a, a very cold, instrumental, mathematical view of the world so that you see reason as opposed to passion. This is completely wrong. As a matter of fact, the Enlightenment paid as much attention to passion as they did to reason. Moreover, they never thought that reason was unlimited. They were very clear that reason had limits. They didn't see the goal as some kind of monster machine. What they opposed reason to was superstition and blind authority, the idea that centers of power could simply say, well, I said so and that's a reason. I mean, a king or a priest or whatever, or I intuit, God told me to invade Iraq. I mean, George W. Bush said that. He truly believed it. Okay. Now, an Enlightenment answer to that would be, well, maybe he did, but if we're dealing in the public sphere, what you discuss with your God is your business, but if we're doing public, political, moral actions, we need to be able to justify them and argue about them in a transparent way that every moderately educated person can understand.
5: So that I'm still the muse when you write
4: This is Imperfect Animals by Becca Stevens Band, and here's a listener's comment from underneath the YouTube video for this song. It says, I love Becca Stevens, and I'm in her corner hoping she'll get the sort of success that her talent deserves, but it needs to be said, this clip sucks shit. I'm not sure why Becca's clip is using an animal that has clearly been trained, which means forced against its nature, to entertain human beings in order to survive. But it ain't cool, and it ain't funny, and it just ain't right.
6: another.
0: Just like that.
6: It's a real puzzle. There have been lots of social scientists, psychologists, psychotherapists trying to puzzle out what the origins of disgust are, even cultural historians. There's a huge, motley array of things that make us feel revolted, from filthy items, from clothing, from food, from certain sorts of insects, even to moral disgust. It's been a puzzle to them and to me for a very long time about why those range of apparently unconnected things actually do all occasion disgust. I was studying the problem of how to get people to be more hygienic to try and prevent disease in developing countries and I'd been doing some anthropological studies into understanding hygiene and I kept coming across this list of things that people couldn't really explain why they wanted to get them out of their lives. They just said, Ugh, they're disgusting. And it turned out that that list of things was actually all in the index of a tropical medicine handbook that I was looking at. So a kind of light went off for me. It seemed suddenly, Eureka! There does seem to be a connection between all those things that disgust us and infection.
4: Part West are an English alternative rock band formed in 1980 in Leicester. They have released ten albums to date but probably none more famous than Shakespeare Alabama which came out in January 1989 and whose ten songs yielded no less than four singles. This one, All the Myths on Sunday being the most successful of them. In the mid-90s they didn't have a record deal but they bounced back and are still going strong having accumulated a great catalogue of crafted guitar driven songs A new album is expected in 2018, their 38th year together.
7: It's all about the onions,
8: you know. So I think people do tend to use different sorts of arguments connected to the idea of the state itself. So for instance, somebody might say... A state is the kind of entity that needs to have a right to exclude because that's what sovereign states do or it's essential to the functions of states that they're able to exclude. And then we need to ask whether that's true. Why do we think that that's part of the very concept of the state? So for example, in previous times, states have claimed other rights that we no longer consider to be part of the very concept of the state. For instance, states have claimed the right to control the exit of their own citizens or states have claimed the right to control the movement within the state of their own citizens. And those things are now no longer considered to be part of the legitimate package of state rights. So why should we think that the right to exclude is one of those rights that states are able to claim with impunity? Now, what kinds of things do we think states need to be able to do in order to be states or in order to claim the authority that they claim for themselves? One obvious thing seems to be that states are really there to defend the people subject to their authority in some way. So we might think states have some kind of a right to self-defence. And that does seem to support the idea that certain forms of exclusion might be permissible under certain circumstances.
4: is Fernhill, a Welsh folk band that formed in 1996. They've been described as highly regarded, innovative cultural ambassadors for Wales and its folk music, having toured in over 20 countries on four continents. Their style is intimate enough with the tradition that they are unafraid to stretch its boundaries. Someone else said that their work has not only been unique but has also moved and changed over the years, making them impossible to imitate.
0: It's just onion after onion.
8: So you might think that states are comparable in some sense to the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts don't have to associate with absolutely anybody who wants to associate with them. Or a golf club doesn't have to admit absolutely any member who wants to join. Maybe we want to draw an analogy with states... A question that we might want to ask is whether this analogy is appropriate. Now, if you get kicked out of one particular golf club or you're not allowed to join one particular golf club, it looks like there are plenty of others that you can become a member of. And actually, even if you weren't able to become a member of any golf club, maybe your life could still go okay. It's not the same with states. The world is made up of states, and you need to be a member of one of these states. Life is terrible if you don't have a state that claims you as its member, if you're a stateless person. So the stakes are far higher. Moreover, with respect to freedom of association, it looks as though... One of the reasons why we respect the rights of particular associations to decide with whom they wish to associate is because we're respecting the decisions of the members of the group to associate together in the first place. Now, that's not true of states. Again, states aren't voluntary associations. We don't choose to be members of them. Most of us are just born there, and we have to be members of a given state, and the state claims authority over us. So we can really try to pick apart this analogy and ask whether it's a suitable one or not.
4: I remember it was 1995, I was moving around sleeping in friends' spare rooms and on their sofas, teaching a bit of guitar and reading a lot of poetry, dwelling, I will admit, on the old adage that friendship can end in love, but love in friendship never. I had a friend, Julia, she lived in a mobile home. We used to survive on tangerines and eating tuna out of cans. I remember how Sunday sunshine used to kill our conversations and I'd look in her eyes and I'd see circles. One day she tore out a page of my magazine and then she went away, as lovers do. That's why this Lloyd Cole song has always resonated with me.
2: I'm living on juice Eating out a tuna can Mobile home yeah. She had to cut me. Loose. Now I'm looking at you. Yeah, like love a you. Like love at you. I'm looking at you
9: now. Like Swearing is the use of taboo language. It's generally taken to perform a function where it expresses emotion rather than that it's used specifically to denote something, although it can be used like that. Mentioning a swear word would be referring to the word rather than using the word to refer to something else. So if in a newspaper you see, as once happened in The Guardian, a report that Jeremy Clarkson had called somebody a where the word appears inside inverted commas, that would be an instance of mentioning a swear word. On the other hand, if you just f- use swear words in the context of normal conversation as I'm doing now then that would be an example of using rather than mentioning and generally people are more tolerant of mentioning swear words than of using them so for example in the Guardian which has a policy unlike most British newspapers of printing swear words in full rather than of blanking any letters out their editorial guidelines make it clear that there's rarely a cause to use swear words rather than mentioning them there's almost never any cause to write a swear word outside inverted commas. This is one of the interesting things about swearing, that it does have this link with emotion. It's almost like a scream to swear, rather than the way that we use words normally to denote something. But this might actually be advantageous, so if you're in a situation where you're inclined to be aggressive and you swear at somebody instead of hitting them, then that might actually be a good thing. Now There are some people that see swearing as advantageous in this way, that it's a kind of low-cost form of aggression. You can express emotion without resorting to violence.
0: Lots of experience Rent gets spent All the letters never written Don't get sent It comes from confusion All the things are left undone It comes from moment to moment Day to day time seems to slip away cause I've got twenty million things to do twenty million things all I can do is think about you with twenty million things twenty million
4: Catherine Roberts is an English folk singer from South Yorkshire. Here she is teamed up with her husband, Sean Lakeman, to record this cover version of the song 20 Million Things by Lowell George, the work hard, play hard primary guitarist, vocalist and songwriter for the rock band Little Feet, as well as a sought-after session musician for his blistering slide guitar playing. He died of a heart attack in 1979, a mere ten days after the release of this song and his first solo album, Thanks, I'll Eat It Here, a collection of songs reminiscent of early Little Feet, a band he saw as having drifted into jazz rock, a genre that he did not enjoy so much.
0: Because I've got 20 million things to do 20 million things All I can do is think about you with Twenty million things. Twenty million.
4: As Onion does. It's a Bill's big bag of onions.
9: Obviously, there is this convention whereby you can use asterisks to avoid writing out a swear word in full, and then that somehow makes it less offensive. I actually don't think there's a plausible story to be told about how that manages to make the swear word less offensive, given that you intend to communicate the swear word, your audience knows what the word is and that you intend to communicate it. But we just have this sort of cultural view that we just respond more positively to asterisk swearing than we do to writing out swear words in full. There's also some reason to think that it makes things worse. If there's any ambiguity about what word you're using when you put asterisks in there, then your audience has to think really hard. Maybe think of more offensive words than you would have intended to convey. You mentioned the N-word, and I think that that's an interesting example here. So we might think that being able to use the expression N star, 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 R, however many stars you'd have to use, actually makes things worse by legitimising the use of a highly offensive term. And it would be better if people didn't have a way to refer disrespectfully to black people, for example, than that they were allowed to use this socially tolerated form of using the word nigger. So you might see something similar about swearing. You might think, well, using asterisks is only a good thing if there is a story to tell about how that succeeds in making swearing less offensive. Because if there is no such story, then it might be a bad thing and it encourages people to use swear words in contexts where they might be unwilling to do so.
4: This is Far By Long Pigs, the third single off 1996's The Sun Is Often Out, which reached number 26 in the UK chart and so remains a memorable artefact from the Britpop phenomenon of the mid-1990s. This Sheffield-based band attempted to make it in America, but their second album didn't set any part of the world alight and the game was up, when the ex-drummer sent the lead singer to hospital needing six stitches at a gig supporting the Pretenders in their hometown in 1999.
9: People certainly are squeamish about swearing in front of children, and I am too, but I'm not convinced it's entirely rational. So we know that children are going to grow up learning to swear, And we just have to work out how it's appropriate for them to learn. What we don't want is for children to grow up swearing in the wrong context because they might go around upsetting people. But there's all sorts of ways that they could do that. So, for example, if they go around referring to people only by their first names and they go to school and they call their teachers by their first names, then that's going to be deemed as inappropriate. But our response to that is not normally to raise children only to call people sir and madam or to refer to them as Mr and Mrs. What we try to do is to teach the children that there's certain contexts where certain types of behaviour are appropriate and certain contexts where it's inappropriate. So I think that sort of policy on swearing is probably the most appropriate. If you think it's a really bad thing to expose children to swear words then it would seem a logical consequence of that to take steps to ensure that they don't learn swear words at all maybe restrict their activity in the playground have teachers on hand always to ensure that children use correct language but i think that would be a much more sinister approach than actually raising children to know what swear words are but also to know what contexts are appropriate to use them
5: Myself, so I'm gonna let her do all the talking Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. I came across a place in the middle of nowhere With a big black horse and a cherry tree Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. I fell little fear upon my back I said, don't look back, just keep on walking When the big black horse said, look this way He said, hello But I said no, 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 no I said no, no, you're not the one for me No, 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 no I said no, no, you're not the one for me ooh, ooh. And my heart hit a problem in the early hours So stopped it dead for a beat or two ooh, But I cut some cord and I shouldn't have done it And it won't forgive me after all these years So I sent it to a place in the middle of nowhere With a big black horse and a cherry tree Now I won't come back cause it's all so happy And now i got a hole for the world to see And it said no no, 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 no Say no, no You're not the one for me No, no No, 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 no. Say no, no You're not the one for me
4: This is 2004's Black Horse and the Cherry Tree by Scottish singer-songwriter Katie Tunstall. The song's enigmatic lyrics deserve some decoding. The black horse in the song represents Lloyd's Bank in Norwich, And the cherry tree represents a traditional private girls' school, the pupils being the cherries in question. At stake is a bank loan for a trip to New York, with KT Tunstall's gritty delivery indicating the rejection and pointing to the purchase of a white car instead. It was in this white car that she came across Ipswich Marina, a location that the lyrics characterise as a place in the middle of nowhere. With the highly prized New York plan thwarted by the black horse, the singer went instead to Amsterdam yet again and took her rest from the cherries. These brilliant lyrics tell a story about how, although one may be busy organising the giving of prizes to others, one does not necessarily receive any award oneself.
5: You're not the one for me Big black on a cherry tree can't quite get that cause my heart forsaken me People yeah, yeah, yeah. have and a cherry tree ooh, I can't quite get that cause my heart forsaken me Onions
4: Big bag of Onions Onions Onions
10: What really sparked my interest in the problem of tolerance was just how widespread its use became in the 1990s, at a time when one would have imagined that the concern with tolerance, as we have understood it over the last several hundred years, might have more or less died out. That is to say, tolerance emerges in the West primarily as something concerned with religious belief, and it emerges as a concern where there's one hegemonic religion and then a set of other religious beliefs that have to be dealt with in some way or another by that hegemonic religion. But instead of dying out, what you see in the 1990s is just an enormous renaissance in the use of tolerance. It's used to talk about everything from regimes to ethnicities to cultures to sexualities and also religious beliefs, but not primarily so. The commonplace view is tolerance is an absolutely benign virtue. Every smart, sane, civilized human being has to be for it. So I start there and I ask, okay, so what is this benign virtue? If you actually look closely at the etymology of tolerance, what do you see? Tolerance is, across every disciplinary field in which it's used, from mining to minting to engineering to pharmaceutical research to social life, always tolerance is about the management of some undesirable element or foreign body invading or taking up residence within the host.
4: Teenage Wildlife from 1980's Scary Monsters was perhaps one of David Bowie's bequests to his successors. Be true to yourself, or at least to your favourite illusion, but just know that the crowd will mock your ambitions. But as bequests go, it was a poisoned one. There's a vicious challenge in its grudging transfer of power, a cold judgement on a lesser future. It's thought that he was slacking off the likes of Gary Newman when he sang about a kid with squeaky clean eyes, desperate for fame, but becoming a toy of commerce. Just another ugly teenage millionaire, a broken-nosed mogul with nothing new to say. Tony Visconti, the album's co-producer, didn't like the song, thinking it made hard demands of the listener. Ironic, then, that Bowie would sail lucratively on through the 1980s, making less and less demands of his listeners. (laughs)
10: The commonplace view is tolerance is an absolutely benign virtue. Every smart, sane, civilized human being has to be for it. Tolerance is always about managing some object of aversion that is, as you say, different, but also different with a stigma, different as a problem. The host is neutral, the host is normal, the host is regular. And the tolerated object is always in some ways problematic. So, for example, in my country with the great history of northern tolerance toward race compared to southern bigotry, what was really going on there, of course, was, yes, compared to lynching and slavery, blacks might prefer to live in the north where they're not going to be lynched or enslaved, But tolerance is not exactly freedom or justice. Tolerance is being permitted to exist within a certain set of conditions and a certain set of constraints and a certain set of limits on behavior. So it's that that I wanted to explore. Why were we getting such a big set of discourses about tolerance in the 1990s in the US, in an increasingly multicultural Europe, and in worldwide civilizational discourse? Why was tolerance becoming the mantra at the United Nations when in fact peered at just a little bit closely, one realizes that word is always being used to handle something that is abject or subject or subordinated and it's used to handle it in a very particular way.
0: Again soon for another journey through the pleasures of music,
4: words, and sound. I'll be seeing you. Bill's Big Bag of Onions has been produced and directed by Adrian Cohen and is a copy production for Cole Radio.